Hey guys, I'm Marco. Hey, and I'm Dustin, and we are so excited because today we're kicking off a whole new series called God's Top 10. And, and with this idea, we, we thought, why would I share 10 things that we want to do before we die? Yeah, and I, I think we all have, you know, what's called a bucket list. And so today we're just going to share a few things that we want to do before we die. So, so Marco, why don't you go ahead and kick it off? Okay, the first one that I want to do, and because I'm living here in the United States, and uh, my wife is an American, I would love to speak better English because sometimes I put the, the words in the wrong place or I don't know, uh, sometimes I say things and people said, oh, what did you say? You know, you know what I mean? I have no idea what you just said. Whatever, yeah. What is your, uh, what, what, what is your, what uh, is yours first one? You know what, well, I'll, I'll tell you mine, but you should really add to your list to learn how to speak better English. I think that'd be a good one to do before you die. My number five is, and this is kind of a silly one, but I have never been to a professional soccer game. And so someday I want to go to a professional soccer game. Wow, I like that one. Can I go with you? What? Well, uh, my second one is, uh, I like to exercise, work out, and for sure, before I die, I want to do a marathon, a complete marathon, and try to do it in an hour and 30 minutes. That is my goal. Hopefully I can, I don't know. Maybe that is, I don't know. Well, but. No, you gotta take that one off your list, because that, that actually... Do you think I can't? No, no, it's, it's just that's something that that I've always wanted to do before I die. I, you know, test myself and, and and do a marathon like that. I mean, that really is one of my top. Well, it's- Do you have it in your list? No, but, but let me see. Yeah, I mean, I do now. And so uh, let's just go ahead and mark that off right there. Okay. All right. What is your, what is your next one? Okay, I, I've always loved, I've been a fan of filming, and I've, I've always wanted to be uh, go to a red carpet event in Hollywood. Oh I, my gosh. I think gosh. that would be amazing. Can you imagine seeing you in the TV right there with your yeah. tuxedo and all that? That would be awesome, man. Yeah, that is nice. My Mine, it, hopefully I can do it when I'm like maybe 55 or something. I would love to have a 69 Camaro SS. Check this out, baby. 69 Camaro SS. That is a terrible idea. But do you think it's too expensive? I mean, I'm gonna save money for it from here. No, 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 no. I have dreamed of driving that car my whole entire life. I can share with you. Well, see, here's the thing. If you get it before I get it, I mean, I mean, how long have you lived in this country? Well, not that much. Yeah, and you know, I was born here, so it's it's only right that you know I get the Camaro first, right? So let, here, let me see your list really quick because I think you have a few more things on here that uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and take off and put on my list, and then maybe I'll write some for you. So okay. this one right here, but that one, no, 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 I I really want to do that one can't do that one because that's already on my list that I'm about to write down. But I mean, I promised to my wife to do that one. You know, that. 
I'm gonna do it with my wife. I mean, it's the our 25th anniversary. You know, that's exactly what I wanted to do for my anniversary. So whatever. <laughs> okay. Okay, there you go. Okay, learn English, learn English, learn English, learn better English. Exactly. That's ridiculous. I'm excited to start a brand new series with you today that I'm calling God's Top 10 Tips for a Great Life. How many of you want to have a great life? I, I want to have a great life. I think probably all of us want to have a great life. Certainly we do. Who wouldn't want to have a great life? You know, the secret to that is actually found in God's Word. God's Word gives us the direction on how to have a great life. It gives us the, the tips, the directions, the, the understanding of how to do that. Um, have you ever uh, read an owner's manual? Uh, I don't know if you have or not. Most guys kind of look at me with a glassy stare when I say, read an owner's manual. Mo you know, most guys don't feel like they have to do that. But when Carrie uh, would see in me a growing frustration in my, in my spirit, you know, over the fact that I wasn't able to put something together or wasn't able to get something done, she would always say to me, well, have you read the instructions? To which I would reply, I don't need to read no stinking instructions. I'm a guy. You know, we don't need instructions. But from those early days of stupidity, I have learned that um, I really do need instructions. All of us do. In fact, Carrie and I now have a really great plan of working together. She reads the instructions to me, and I do the work, you know. And she says, okay, the next step is to do whatever, and I do it. And it has saved us a ton of time and a lot of uh, frustration for me. But I will tell you that, that being focused on reading an owner's manual or instructions became very clear to me about 14 years ago, because that's when I purchased a 2001 model automobile and it had just enough technology on it that I couldn't figure it out just by sitting in the driver's seat and looking at everything on the dashboard. So I actually had to pull out the owner's manual and I started reading the owner's manual to see how to make the car work. I got to tell you the truth, I have I have been driving ever since I was 16 years of age. I have never in my life read an owner's manual to a car before. But if I buy a car now, I always have to read the owner's manual. And sometimes I read something in that owner's manual about the car's capabilities, and I will say to myself, wow, I didn't know it could do that. That's really cool. I'm glad I read the manual. You know, God's Word is a lot like that. It is an owner's manual for our lives, all of us. God who created us knows how to instruct us to live our lives most effectively. And in the owner's manual of life, the Bible, you'll find all kinds of instruction on how to live your life, the choices that you need to make with your life, in order to live with the fullest sense of success and, and of fulfillment and effectiveness that you possibly can. 
And you know what? There will be times that you will read in the Bible something that will be so profound to you, and it's like the Holy Spirit will witness that to your heart, and you'll say to yourself, wow, I didn't know I could do that. But there it is, right there in the Bible. Now, one of the things that I've noticed in some of the newer cars lately has been the inclusion of actually two manuals that you can read. One of them is kind of the big one. It's the all-inclusive one. It tells you about every knob, every button, every capability, totally front to back. It becomes redundant at times. It's kind of boring to go through, but you can, it tells you everything about the car in detail. But then there's this other manual, a smaller one. It's, it's kind of like a starter manual that they, they send to you. In other words, here's a manual that will help you get started with the car. And it's kind of like an abbreviated version of the bigger one, and it reduces everything down to its most basic information. Now, that is true in the Bible as well. It's important that you read the whole Bible, all of it. I read it through every year. I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible through. I don't even remember. But there's a smaller list that is given in its pages, which kind of reduces the large Bible, the, the, the 66 books, down into what we might would consider its most basic parts. And we call this smaller list, we're calling it God's top 10, what he called the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. The truth is, if you follow God's Ten Commandments, you will be following the entire Word of God. Now, it's important, again, that, that you read the whole Word of God, that you don't just read the Ten Commandments. You need to read the specifics about how some of those commandments play out, and that's given in the, the broader book of, of God called the Bible. And besides that, all of God's Word is all-powerful. So it's not just the Ten Commandments, but the whole thing is a powerful word from God to us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For whatever God says to us is full of living power. I just love that verse. What it communicates about the power of the Word of God alive within those who read it it, it is full of living, not just life, but living power to help us to live our lives effectively, to have a great life. But the Ten Commandments are, I guess in my opinion, kind of like a snapshot from God on how to live a great life, the way that God designed our lives to be. Well, a few months ago, Janie Wolf, who is our office manager, most of you know her, sent me an article uh, emailed it to me, entitled, If God Text Messaged the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I thought that was pretty intriguing. And so I, I, as I read down through it, I thought, you know, I'm going to share this with the church and, and see if you can figure it out along with me. So I'm just going to present what the first text message is, and you tell me if you can figure it out. There it is. Now, what is that saying? You're right. No one before me. Seriously. That wasn't too hard to figure that one out. No one before me. Seriously. Number two, what's this one? All right. Don't worship pictures or idols. That's right. Again, not too difficult. 
Now, this next one might really challenge you. Now, what in the world do you think that one might be saying? Nobody's willing to admit it. Huh? You know what OMG is. You see it on Facebook constantly. It's, it's overtaken our, our culture. No, oh my gods. Is it possible that this little catchphrase, which has captured our culture, is in fact a violation of the third commandment to not take the name of the Lord in vain? fact, Marco, I have to mention to you that I just noticed in your video that you said, oh my gosh, what a heathen. <laughs> no, you stay here because conviction's going to fall on you. <laughs> but it's so easy to creep into our lives, isn't it? You know, and of course, I'm not saying that you did anything wrong. I'm just teasing. But I think it's something for us to be thoughtful about and careful about and to consider. All right, number four, what's it say? Yeah, no work on weekends, Saturday for now, sun, uh, Sunday later. All right, <laughs> pretty good. Now, this next one was difficult for me. To, in fact, I'll tell you, it was so difficult for me to figure out that I brought in one of our young adults into my office, and I said, tell me what this says, and she couldn't figure it out either. So do you know that there is a, there is a uh, website that you can go to figure out text message lingo? So that's what we had to do. We had to go online to figure out what this might mean. So anybody want to guess on this one? You're probably not going to get it unless you're really with it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not getting it from anybody. Come on, some of you young ones. Come on. All right. Parents over shoulder, okay. Your mom and dad are cool. Okay, what does parents over shoulder mean? That means you're, let your parents look over your shoulder. Let them know what's going on in your life. That's okay to do that. It's okay for them to do that for you because your parents are important in your life. Okay, number six, this is the easy one. Don't kill who? People, yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't be eating. Don't kill people. All right, number seven. There you are, sex only with mate. That's pretty good. Number eight. This is easy. Don't steal. Okay, number nine. Yeah, don't lie regarding your best friend. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see, was that nine? Number 10, this is today's. <laughs> Don't ogle your best friend's mate or ox or donkey, mind your own business. <laughs> Somebody said to me earlier today, it, we could change that from ogle to Google. Don't Google your, <laughs> but. It, it's Ogle. <laughs> That's what they have here. All right. Now, the, the author who put this all together ended the piece this way. I think I have it in your notes. Um, can you figure this one out?
That's a little tough, isn't it? All right. Moses, please write on tablets and give to people. Talk to you later. Jehovah. P.S. What would Jesus do? <laughs> Good way to live your life. So that's really clever and fun to look at. Well done. But the Ten Commandments are, are serious, and we all know that. They're serious because they are God's instruction manual to us for a great life. And I want to have a great life, and you've already said you want to have a great life. So over the next several weeks, I'm going to share with you God's top ten tips for a great life. And in typical letter, uh, David Letterman fashion, we're going to start with number ten first and work our way all the way up to God's number one tip for a great life. So, uh, tip number 10. Uh, we already gave it to you. Don't ogle your best friend's mate or ox or donkey. Mind your own business. And this is how God puts it in Exodus 20, verse 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That's why the end of the, the bumper video said, don't covet. That's, that's the essence of what the 10th commandment says. You know, it is amazing how easy it is for us to want what we don't have. When you talk about coveting, that's essentially what you're talking about. You want what somebody has that you don't have. And you know, it's it's. It's not that you even necessarily need it. You might have the latest and the greatest and still covet what somebody else has. And I thought to myself, why is it that we are that way? Well, I think it's because freedom, whether we're talking about uh, cultural freedom or whether we're talking about uh, national freedom or whether we're talking about spiritual freedom, whatever kind of freedom we're talking about is hard to get and it's hard to maintain once you got it. And really it doesn't matter what kind of freedom you're talking about. It's a hard battle to get it and it's a hard battle to keep it. Uh, it's kind of like a diet from my point of view. Losing weight is hard. It's very hard. And I so commend the scores of you that went through the Daniel plan at the first of the year and hundreds of pounds were lost within our congregation at the first of, of the year. And it's just great what you did, but what you find out shortly after you, you reach your goal on any weight loss plan is that keeping it off is just as hard or maybe even harder than getting it off in the first place. Is that not true if you've ever gone on a diet? Keeping it off really is the tough thing because that's the rest of your life. Freedom is kind of like that. The sacrifices that millions of Americans have made through the years to secure and sustain the, the freedom that we have have been tremendous sacrifices. And very few of us today know anything about, have experienced any kind of sacrifice on the level of previous generations especially the World War II generation, which is oftentimes called the greatest generation in America. We have been as a nation at war since 9-11-2001. We all know that. But there have been no fuel shortages. There have been no food shortages that we've had to endure. No gas lines 
because we were at war. There's been no rationing of goods or of services to the population. Now, that's not true in other wars. If you didn't know that, that's not the way other wars have been fought. As a nation, we experienced a, a lot of shortages during times of great conflict and a, and a lot of lines that we had to stand in in order to get what we needed because we were at war. Now, I'm not saying that I wish we had those kind of shortages or that, that we had those kinds of hard times. I'm just saying that in the past, war came with great sacrifice on the battlefield, but off the battlefield too. All that to say that as hard as it has been to gain our freedom, it is often just as hard or maybe even harder to retain our freedom, to maintain, to keep the freedom. And the same thing is true spiritually. And this is what I want you to catch on to. Jesus bought you freedom on the cross. And you applied that freedom, you received that freedom into your life by surrendering your heart, surrendering your sins, surrendering your life, surrendering your past to Jesus. And at that moment, the Bible says you were set free, not only from the consequences of your sin, but you were set free from the power of your sin over you. The Bible says before we knew Christ, we were slaves to sin. Think about that. I'm a slave to nobody. Well, you're probably a slave to your ego. We were slaves to our former way of life. We couldn't break the addiction to it. But when Jesus entered our hearts, he broke the chain of bondage. He, he broke the, the slavery of, of sin off of our lives. And, and we have been set free from that moment on. At that moment... You are a new person, but if you're not careful, you can get entangled right back in the old sin again. In fact, one of the scriptures that you used was out of Galatians in one of the songs we sang this morning that said, don't allow your freedom to become a reason for you to get re-entangled under a yoke of bondage or slavery. In other words, don't let your freedom in Christ, your liberty in Christ get you so... Um, so casual about the world and the world systems and, and what the enemy's trying to do against you that you end up falling right back into it again. Because that can happen. If you're not careful, you can go right back into your old way of life all over again. Listen to what Romans 6, 12 through 14 tells us. Do not let sin control the way you live. Now he's, he's, he's saying this to who? To Christians. You're not saying this to the world. The world lets sin control it. We shouldn't be surprised that the world sins, right? That's what they do real well. That's what we did before we knew Christ really well. Now he's talking to us as Christians. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. 
So we each have this responsibility, says Paul here, to keep ourselves from becoming slaves again to sin after we've been set free. Now, I think there are two things that make us susceptible to go back into sin again. There are two reasons we do it. The first one I would observe to be demonic influence or what we might call temptation. Temptation from the enemy. So the enemy of your soul does not want you to live free. You know that, right? If he, if he can't keep you from salvation, he'll do everything he can to keep you so bound to your old way of life to the philosophies of the world that your salvation has virtually no positive effect upon your life, at least not in this world. And so when you think about living your life, living a great life, that's so foreign to you, even as a Christian, because you're so bound to your old way of life, to your old, the old worldly philosophies. The Apostle Paul talked about this in Romans 7. He admitted in verse number 15, I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I, I do what I hate. <laughs> And I think probably many of us could say, oh, nuts, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have gone there. The highly acclaimed uh, Irish playwright said, Oscar Wilde, he said these words, I can resist anything except temptation. <laughs> That's pretty good. We, we know what he's saying. And some of you really know what he's saying because you feel the almost constant pull of your life to go back to the old stuff, to revisit the old way of life again. Well, where does that pull come from? It comes from Satan. It comes from demonic influence. It comes from temptation. Listen to Ephesians 6. It tells us about our enemy. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers, authorities, uh, against mighty powers of the dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Do you know that Jesus fought these same spirits? The Bible tells us about his temptations, but don't, one of the things it says when, after it gets done talking about the temptations of Jesus, it says that the devil left him for a more opportune time. I, I believe that Jesus faced temptation every day of his life, just like you and I do. Now, in, in the temptations in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil in three ways to turn stones into bread because he was hungry. In other words, to be the supply for his own needs. Uh, he was tempted to uh, test God by jumping off the temple to see if God would rescue him or not. And then thirdly, he was tempted to bypass the cross and, and worship Satan right then. I'll give you the whole world, he says. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll worship me. And Satan had the, the authority to do that because he was in charge. And, and Jesus passed the test and didn't sin. And, and if, if, you, you know that if you've read it. But the enemy tried to influence him. And that's the point I'm trying to make. And, and he tries to do it to us too, to get us to give in to the wrong and to sabotage God's blessings in our lives. Now, there's a second reason that we're susceptible to sin. Even after you give your heart to Jesus, it's, it's your own flesh that tries to draw you back. The Bible calls it the flesh, it calls it the carnal nature, it calls us the sin nature. All these are terms that describe the same problem because even if the demons aren't out there trying to pull, trying to, to get you back, influence you back into sin, your old nature just in and of itself wants to go back. It wants to be drawn back into it. 
The book of 1 John talks about this in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and the pride in our own achievements and, and possessions. I love how the King James actually puts this. It says, it calls it those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That, that's very accurate. And then it goes on to say, these are not from the Father, but are from this world, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So what that's saying is that we've got to keep ourselves loosely attached to the world because everything that you crave, the lust of the flesh, and lust is a very strong word um, and can mean literal lust or it can mean cravings as well. Whatever you crave above God in your life can be a trap, will be a trap for you. In fact, if you want to live a great life, I think it's the last sentence of verse number 17 that has to be your focus. Anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And so, God, how can I please you with my life? How can I please you in every area of my life? The way I talk, the way I think, the deeds I do, the direction of my life, my choices. Lord, how can I please you with my life? All right, so how does all this relate then to commandment number 10? Do not covet. Simply this, coveting is one of the ways that Satan endeavors to pull you back into the trap of your old life. If he can get you coveting, he'll get you focused away from God and onto things that will become destructive in your life. You want what you don't have. Maybe, maybe it's even legitimate stuff but it can become a trap to you because you don't trust God anymore. Maybe you want a better house. Nothing wrong with a better house. But that can become a trap for you. Maybe you want a nicer car. Maybe you want to be popular. Maybe you want to be recognized. Maybe you want more money. Maybe you want a higher position at work and you start coveting after it. You start, it becomes the focus of your life. Maybe it's a marriage relationship that someone else has, but you don't have. And you covet that for your life. I have kind of made a joke out of this, but the truth is it's probably a point of covetousness even in my own life. And I'll tell you about it. I love the wonderful facility that God has given to us here at Life Church. I am so grateful for what God has given to us. I really, really mean that. But one of our real weaknesses has always been, especially as we start growing, the amount of foyer or what I might call relationship space. Now, it's obvious this was a big deal to us because we spent a lot of money tearing out some offices over here to give you more space to relate. Uh, to talk, to pray with one another. What we had was a situation that, and, and if you've been coming here for a while and you remember the old hallway there, if two people stopped to talk with each other, it backed up people, you know, clear to Smith's grocery store, you know, <laughs> trying, trying to get in. 
and or out, whichever way it went, you know. And so it was just a real problem. And so I would go like to other churches. And if I walked into a church that had a great foyer, I, I would jokingly say, man, I covet your foyer, you know. And everybody would laugh and, and yeah, okay, covet the foyer. But as I started studying for this message, guess what the Holy Spirit started dealing with me about? A foyer fetish. I don't know. <laughs> uh, a, 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 probably something that was really a problem. I had made a joke out of it, but it was really masking something that was in there that wasn't right. And I know it's easy to justify and kind of think to yourself, well, how can you really covet a foyer? But you know, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it mentions those biggies up there, like don't covet your neighbor's house or your, his wife or his servants or his ox or his donkey. But look at the last phrase, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And you start coveting that, and it starts becoming the occupation, preoccupation of your life. It becomes so easy to justify what we want, but that doesn't put us... But what that does, rather, is put us back into bondage because we're no longer thankful for what God gives to us. We start wanting to go beyond that. Do you know, and I just want to throw this out, because especially a lot of us in this service who, are, who have been in the church world, either this one or other churches, for a long time. Do you know that it's even possible to covet the past? I want you to think about that. Start coveting the past. Oh, why can't things be like they used to be? I will tell you that I wish they could. It was a lot cheaper. It was a lot easier. I used to be able to do my sermons on Saturday for the next day Sunday. I've already got my message for two weeks from now done. Why? Because of technology because of the things that I have to do in order to get this up here to you, in order to get it on a piece of paper. I have to, to study it out ahead of time. And some of you will say, well, that's not of the Holy Spirit. If you were really of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need notes. That may be true. I don't know. All I have believed all of my life is that the Holy Spirit of the sanctuary is the Holy Spirit of the study, and that the God who anoints in here anoints there, and can direct me and what we're supposed to do. But on top of that, we have the caveat in this church, and we've said it over and over again as staff, anything God wants to do, he can blow apart everything that we have planned. This is his church. Jesus died for his church. I didn't die for anybody. It belongs to him, so we do what he says, all right? But having said that, I think that what we plan is prayed over and considered and is most normally in line with what the Spirit of God wants us to do. But we can, we can get this attitude, why can't things be like the past? And before you know it, you're living with anger and you're living with bitterness about changes that you don't like and you come under bondage to the past Even if what is being done is bad, you still become un you come under bondage to the past. 
I was sitting out here in the parking lot yesterday in my car getting ready to come in. Somebody with one of the boom booms went by on Bangor, and they had to stop at a red light. I couldn't hear myself think, you know, 100 feet away. Boom, boom. Sometimes in my office, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there working on God's message, and I'm getting boom, 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 you know, through the wall all the way from the street, you know. So maybe that's why some of my messages are a little screwy, because I'm getting boom, boomed all the time, you know. I don't know. I wish it weren't like that. I don't like it. But I can go around and curse that all I want. It does absolutely no good. What I have to do is say, God, how can I move past this and be victorious over this instead of being dominated by it? I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not talking about faith principles. I'm talking about preference. Some people prefer one thing. Another person prefers another thing. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of preference. One person likes red, another likes green. Red's not right and green wrong. They're, they're both good. It's just they're different. We are different. But if you make an issue out of your preferences and make it divisive, it can become a sin to you, a burden, a trap upon you personally, and can even damage the body of Christ. Going around like that, you know, and we, we oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. Well, we don't like you doing that, <laughs> you know. But it, be, it becomes a, a trap to our lives, and it can happen. But Jesus wants to set us free from these things. Not just so that we can make heaven, because I'm confident that most all of you are on your way to heaven. I don't know anybody's soul, but if I were to guess, I'd say everybody in here is going to heaven. That'd be my impression. But I'm talking about living a great life now. God's top 10 tips for a great life. We've got to let God talk to us about some things. And one of the first things he wants to talk to us about is are we allowing a covetous heart, covetous spirit to dominate our spirits to where we're becoming bitter and angry and upset? Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.